Before we roll the title music, I just want to say a big thank you to everybody that emailed the show regarding questions for Brian Kennedy, who was last week's episode, episode number 28. I really appreciate that, and I'm sorry that I only got to ask Brian two questions because we were running out of time. But if you were one of those people, you should have now received a sticker pack. Hopefully you have, and if not, drop me an email and let me know and I'll get another one out to you. But I just want to say thank you so much for that. I do appreciate you getting involved. Roll the music. Let's go on to episode number 29. Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast. Your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Welcome, welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast. Thank you very much for being here. And it's episode number 29. And I am here to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to get out in the trails, keep you stoked, and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. Now, on today's episode, we are chatting about why you should buy a new bike. And we are chatting to the guys at Make Monkey in Belfast, and they are going to take us through all their tips and hints of why you should buy a new bike, when it is, when it is time to buy a new bike. My bike is 10 years old, and they lent me a Rocky Mountain Altitude 2018 model, and I did see a major difference in the bikes. So we chat about that, we chat about why... I should upgrade, why you should upgrade to a new bike, and when you know it's time to possibly do that, or when you should be thinking about doing that. So it's a really good, insightful episode. I really enjoyed talking with the guys once again, and this might just put you in the frame of mind to buy a new bike. I know it's springtime, it's, you know, we're thinking about new bikes for the summer, possibly. So this is your opportunity to have a good listen to the guys at Make Monkey explaining the difference in a new bike versus an older bike, something like mine. And it may just may just get your wallet out of your pocket. I hope you enjoy, folks. Let's welcome Meg Monkey back to the show. Rock and roll. Yep. Dudes, welcome back. Welcome to MTP Tribe Podcast. Thanks very much for coming back on. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, so we're up in uh, Meg Monkey in Belfast, just off Boucher Road, and the guys are going to try and encourage me or tell me why I should buy a new bike. Um, they haven't even seen my... Oh, well, Lewis, you seen my bike, didn't you? It's pretty nasty, but anyway. <laughs> we'll get back to that. But, guys, you just lent me a 2018 Rocky Mountain Altitude. Shimano 70 is that one? Uh, yeah, all the X- XT and SLX stuff on it. Yeah, yeah. okay. 8, cool, all right. So, for the guys listening, I'm riding a... Specialized stump jumper, which is about nine or ten years old now, and really does need some serious work done to it. So, the guys lent me the Rocky Mountain Altitude, which I absolutely loved. I put some posts up on about social on social media about it and stuff. Um, but I'm going to ask the guys some questions on why I should buy a new bike or why you should buy a new bike. So, let's break it down into a few different things. Um, first of all, Kieran and Lewis, thank you so much for coming on. No Appreciate it. It's late. The guys have had a full day's work already done, so uh, they're a bit tired. 
That's why you're on the monster. So mumble and ramble on a wee bit. <laughs> uh, so, guys, let's talk frame first and shape of frames and how that's changed. So, how have they changed over the last 10 years from when I bought... Well, I only have the Stump Jumper about three years, but from when the Stump Jumper was made until now? Uh, probably the biggest thing is bikes have got a lot longer, like reach-wise. So, you probably noticed jumping off your bike onto even the altitude which wouldn't be the longest of bikes mm-hmm. out there, um, that you probably had like a big difference in reach. Um, head angles have got a lot slacker. Uh, chain stays generally shorter. Bottom brackets usually a bit lower. So really all just helps out with stability. You know, frames now are probably more stable than they have been at any time in the past. Like you're riding a trail bike now that was probably downhill bike geometry, you know, sort of seven or eight years ago. So mm. And do you think is that the main reason for them being longer and stuff like that is more stability and more confidence on the bike? Or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you can see bikes in the last sort of maybe last year or so, everything's starting to get like a steeper seat tube angle. So that's kind of trying to make a bike that's a quite long, pedal up hills quite nice, you know. Okay. So get your weight forward over the bottom bracket, just gives you a better pedaling uh, position. But that's kind of counteracting the fact that bikes just got really long and really slack to make them, you know, a lot more stable, a lot faster. So I think the the bikes now today, you'll feel the difference when you pick the speed up in them on the rougher stuff and steeper stuff. Right. So it makes it it makes it for a better ride, really. The frame shape now. Do you think is it also to try and get a bike that does everything better? Bikes definitely do. A lot, like, I mean, I just ride a trail bike now. I haven't owned a downhill bike in probably 10 years or more. Mm. Um, You you don't really need, for our country anyway, a bike for downhill or a bike, you know, just for for trails and stuff. Um, One 150, 160 mil travel bike would probably attack anything that we have to offer. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, and as far as uh, weight and strength and stuff like that goes... How's the frames changed over the last 10 years or so? Um, all advancements in the sort of like technology of, of making the bikes and different uh, techniques have made bikes lighter generally and, you know, as strong as they ever were or stronger. So mm-hmm. you've got like a full six-inch travel bike, you know, with a reasonable spec, probably going to be 30 pound in weight, um, which, you know... I don't know, even 10 years ago was probably closer to 36 or or more, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and do you think with the shape of frames now and full suspension, has that whole thing changed in frames? As, you know, because you'll see on certain bikes the rear, the rear suspensions in different positions and all. Is that just evolve or how do they look at that? There's, I mean, you'll see now even today that there's, like every company has their their shock position in a different place or you know they've got different style linkages that's really a packaging thing um there is some advantages to some styles um i mean the likes that canyon we're looking at here you can see where the shock is there allows Mm. you to get a bottle cage in um, right because that's the same as my bike my shock's down there so that that's that's a fairly traditional sort of setup, right? And uh, and that canyon's more or less as well. Yeah, it's like a year old or something. Yeah, so. okay. But you can see, you know, you can get a bottle cage, and that's something that's 
probably got more important to people in the last I don't know two three years I like riding with a bottle cage um, like I live close to some trails that I can just pop out the door mm, okay. go straight up and I don't want to be carrying like a camel back or anything like that so um, and especially just boys on EWS enduros and stuff you know they're out and they want as much stuff seemingly attached to the bike as possible so right um, on the bike and not on their back yeah so you've got that and then the position that allows you to get the you know the standover as low as possible so with that bike you can see it's got a fairly tall seat tube but you've got a lot of space to move about on the bike as well mm. just because the top tube can come down at a at a real sort of fairly extreme angle there so. yeah yeah and you know what would be the advantage then say my bike so if you were trying to encourage me to buy a new bike would I be better buying a complete bike or is the frame good enough? Should I keep the frame or what would be your opinion on that? I would say a new bike, complete new bike. Um, frames, it used to be better to build a bike up. You know, it used to be a lot of the frames and stuff would have been fairly similar geometry-wise and stuff. Um, and component, like bikes as a full build generally never came with what you wanted on the whole bike. But bikes are coming so well spec now for for sort of decent money. I know it's a fortune, and like a bike still the entry level one's like three times the price of my car. But you know, <laughs> kind of cars we drive on yeah. it. <laughs> but uh, that's it. Like I mean, you know, a two and a half, two thousand three hundred quid bike is pretty much specked out to what most people will need. Now you can go fancier, you can go lighter, but that sort of entry level, you're not going to be able to build around your current frame and get something that rides as good hmm. for the same so okay so go full bike all right so if i was to go or let's just say the frame the frames have changed a good wee bit since mine how does that make me a better rider or what does that do to make me enjoy riding more so um you can probably still have the same amount of fun on your old bike you know there's plenty of people riding old bikes like I've got a couple of old hardtails and stuff, and I love getting out on them as much as I do on anything else. But um, if you're wanting to go quick, new bikes have definitely got... It's just made it a lot easier. You know, like people aren't going to be setting records that, that fast guys weren't doing, you know, 10 years ago on your stump jumper. But mm -hmm. And there's still probably someone can come in, jump on that stump jumper, and spank me on my brand new bike. But... As far as flattering your riding ability, like new bikes definitely seem to be getting to that point like where geometry makes a massive difference. And, you know, I've noticed it in my own riding as well. Like, I'm not the fastest boy out there, but I just got a nice new transition. And mm. they've done some, not madly out there, but sort of outside the box geometry from, from what's sort of available at the minute. And right. I've noticed big differences and, like, Kieran will tell you the first day I was out on it I was like ear to ear grinning just going like this is flatter this has made me like 10 or 15 percent faster no bother so what's the difference in your transition bike then what's the difference between that and say my stump jumper or what you were riding last year yeah. why do you think it's so much better um they just they've tweaked a few things so like I said they've steepened the seat angle so the bike climbs a bit better than what I was on before I was on like a 2017 new proof mega which is a great bike and it does a lot of stuff well, but I've just definitely noticed improvements in this wee bike. Um, it's about a degree slacker in the head angle, but then the fork has 
got to reduce the offset, which when you go slacker, you generally make a bike feel a lot lazier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just harder to get round tight corners and all that kind of stuff. Um, they've offset it with the lower offset fork, which gives it a lot more. Uh, it's a lot more nimble than it was or it would have been without it. You know, yeah. So I've noticed that it, it's kind of made a real good all-round bike you can ride it in places that maybe don't need a bike with that big a travel or that's like a head angle mm-hmm. but then when you get it on something real rough or steep it just eats it up so it just goes and you reckon that that bike was quite heavy it's definitely got a bit of weight to it but it's the base model um so it comes with basic enough wheels um i've got fairly heavy tires on it anyway right and it's something i never usually you know skimp on weight just go for a tire that grips and won't puncture because i'm the wrong side of 100 kilograms so mm-hmm. uh, so you would think that the weight's more in the components than the frame yeah i mean the frame's probably average enough i think most of it's in in the components but i wouldn't like i was kind of a bit bummed when i weighed it and then i went and rode it and it's like yeah it's it's meant like you know don't feel it when you get it on no. the trail it'd be nice if it was lighter just a lot a bit less to carry up the hills but yeah, yeah. coming down it helps and them offset forks is pretty nifty you showed me that the last time i was in with you um it's pretty cool i never even i never even thought yeah you know that that kind of thing existed really it's it's something some people have been working with recently you know chris porter from uh he's doing the geometron bikes uh he's been doing a lot with lowering offsets and trying slacker slacker head angles we've actually got uh one of his bikes in here at the minute getting built up um it'd be a pretty interesting thing to show you so it's it's mm. taken that you know they're not quite as mass produced so he's kind of went like they're very long they're very slack and like an extreme offset so he's using like a 26 inch top crown with uh like a 29 or a 27.5 lower leg just to get like a real low offset so, right wow so, so wow that's a bit different then yeah so that's it i mean there's there's people like way out further than what that transition would be but then it's quite a nice happy medium as as far as a production bike goes cool well let's talk about forks and suspension then and firstly let's talk about a full suspension bike versus a hard tail so what would be the real differences as far as that on the trail and what would you suggest somebody that's riding trails around here kind of goes for yeah um like a good hardtail is is a real nice thing to have you know there's a lot of hardtails now that that are mirroring that you know the same way that all the suspension bikes are going so they're they're longer slacker lower you know everything you want um a hardtail with a good fork on it will be like you know nearly every bit as capable as a as mm. a decent full sensor on the in the right hands you will have to work harder you'll have to find grip you know where mm-hmm. a rear suspension sort of gives you mechanical grip that you want to have with a hard tail um but you can definitely learn to ride them and and have everybody's much fun so like i love a hard tail and uh i wouldn't put anybody off my own yeah so the rear shock really keeps the tire on the ground yeah that's it's me and that's it same as your car if you didn't have back suspension the thing would be bouncing all over the place and like it's fun on a hardtail if you go on a, a, a rowdy track on a hardtail you'll know you're riding it you know yeah. it can be like so i know some boys that ride them because like 
the full suspension bikes make it a bit mundane and a bit easy you know right. on tracks that they know and are riding week in week out so yeah that hard deal and you feel like you're going way faster and you're maybe not Maybe not going as extreme speeds mm. because you do, you still you still do see hardtails out in the trails. Oh yeah, for sure. Like hardtails have maybe even made a bit of a comeback uh, recently. You know, a nice steel hardtail with a good geometry seems to be fairly sought after. Yeah, and as far as price goes, if you were spending the same money on a hardtail bike, you'd obviously get more bike or better components. Generally, Would they come in a wee bit cheaper than a full sus? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you'll probably get you know. Just over a thousand pounds, I'll probably buy a hardtail with pretty decent componentry. Um, whereas, like to get the same full suspension bike, you're maybe paying about an extra grand. So, mm. so do you think a lot of people would have one of each? A lot of people we know do seem to have one really? of each, and okay. it, it tends to be just something again to make the trails a bit more interesting. Or boys will put the winter in on them rather than throwing you know bearing kits and mm. stuff at. Uh, they usually tend to have a you know a good full suspension bike and then maybe a slightly down spec hardtail, so it's something that they can kind of just use as a hack bike. The uh, parts aren't as expensive. You don't have to be putting bearing kits into frames as often. Right. Rear suspension to service, all that kind of stuff. So, okay, so it's it's a good option. Hardtails anyway. are good, yeah. Yeah. Um, my mate that I normally ride with, he still rides a hardtail. Yeah. Um. I think it's just because he doesn't want to put money into a new bike, but <laughs> but you know he's no complaints. Like no, that's it. I mean, uh, probably two or three years ago now, I spent most of the winter on a hardtail uh, when I was when I was working with CRC doing the prototype and stuff. I loved it. Like um, like a good spec hardtail with a one fifty one sixty mil fork, you can have a laugh on it. Like and it teaches you how to ride. You know, mm. you can get lazy and complacent on your your big grippy full suspension bike, but a hardtail will put manners on you. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through the different suspension options there are then just just roughly uh like brands wise or <clears throat> well just let's just say on front forks you have 130 150 160 170 so what's the advantages of having bigger forks over smaller forks if you like yeah well i mean generally you know as you get bigger travel your ability to take bigger hits you know sort of steeper tracks rougher stuff and um, bigger jumps bigger drops will be easier it'll take a lot of the stress off the rider and the bike will absorb more um mm-hmm. you know there's sort of kind of two categories you'll get for like sort of enduro trail bikes you'll have something maybe around about 120 130 mil and then you just sort of jump up to like 150 or 160. And for most of the stuff we have here, you could probably get away with a smaller travel bike. Um, yeah. But it's nice sometimes to have, you know, that sort of comfort cushion of a bit more travel because it will let you get away with a bit more. But maybe not as efficient to pedal about, you know. Right, okay. So if you go, <clears throat> because I noticed that, that bike in 2017, that white bike that won Enduro Trail Bike of the Year or something, yeah. I think it was 130 or 140 yeah, like front travel. 130 or something, yeah. S- something like that. That's it. Like, um, for most of the tracks we have here, you would probably find you would have more fun and, and be faster on a smaller travel bike, you know, unless you're going to places like Ross Trevor, even Tullymore, Donard, all that kind of stuff. That's where you start to, you know, appreciate a bit more travel. Right. But near enough everything else, it's it's overkill. So. Yeah, so if you have less travel on your front forks, you're more efficient. Is that 
generally more efficient so they're a bit easier pedaled they're not sapping as much energy out of you but it even just goes back to you know it's almost a middle ground between that feeling of riding the hardtail and getting loose and having your big super stable enduro bike Mm -hmm. like it's one in between it'll you know let you know your the trail's there and not just soak everything up and make Mm -hmm. it dead so for the likes of me then if i was looking at buying a new bike let's say my local trail would be dava really but then I'll head away to Bike Park Ireland. Maybe I'll do a bit of Ross Trevor. You know, so I'm going to kind of be all round. Yeah. What would you advise I would go for then? If you were front fork wise, front fork wise, like if you're generally sticking to trail center stuff, like a 140, 150 mil travel forks, probably more than enough. You know, you could get away with a bit less. Yeah. Um, like this year, I'd kind of toyed with going for something with a bit less travel, but maybe something with still sort of fairly slack, um, relaxed geometry. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, just depends on where you're riding as well, you know. Yeah, and if you had like a 130 travel fork and you wanted to go to Ross Trevor, do you need to set anything up? Can you change it slightly to suit something like that? Um, you should probably have the same settings for most of the places you ride over right. here anyway. Um, like once it's set up for your weight and the suit, you know, uh, most tracks, you would you'd probably be pretty much spot on. What you will probably do if you're riding a lot of trail center where it's like paved and stuff, you're probably not going to be using the suspension. You'll probably find you'll have it on like a trail setting rather than a fully open descending setting. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the likes of Ross Trevor, you would have it fully active. Right. But like a good suspension setup would go a long way, you know, into making it work everywhere rather than just kind of guessing. So Yeah. Now, looking at my bike, the front forks, which I noticed the last time I was out, are really creaky. So what would that be and what would be the advantage of buying, say, a new bike then over the likes of getting all that kind of stuff maintained and fixed? Um, there definitely is a point where, you know, it's just diminishing returns. So you'll you'll just be putting money into something that's maybe not, you know, going to give you the performance back. And mm-hmm. by the time you see the bill getting it all fixed, you did not been too far away from getting you know like a new bike even sometimes that is the point where you know somebody has like an old full sensor and it maybe needs like you know just everything gone through it might need hubs fork service maybe needs a new rear shock yeah but like you're at the price point of like a pretty decent hard deal right you know maybe that's the time to to just make the change because mine feels that that time <laughs> <laughs> um Grand. Okay, and then rear suspension, is it more or less work the same as front? Is it the same kind of idea behind the the De- way it works? Yeah, definitely same idea. It's all all the same, you know, components just in a in a smaller package really. Um you're generally looking to get a bike very well balanced front to rear to make it work good. Mm-hmm. Um which is probably one of the, the biggest things we see is bikes just not set up. If I could recommend anything to anybody, is like you're going and spending three grand on a bike or more like spend a couple of quid getting it set up for your weight and for where you're riding yeah and it'll make the biggest difference grant and when is too much travel just too much too much travels definitely can be too much you know like i've got that transition which is like one 165 rear 170 front and What's that probably, 170 front, is yeah, it? Yeah, it probably is too much for most of the places you would ride here. It, you know, it's perfect in Ross Trevor, 
uh, Donner, Tullymore, you know, Bike Park Ireland and stuff. But mm-hmm. like, if I take that to Dava or um, Mary Peters or something, like you're definitely pushing a bike that's you know overbuilt, too much travel. You know, you don't need it. Mm-hmm. So um, generally, yeah, tailor the bike to suit where you're going to be riding. But bikes are so efficient now, even at that bigger travel. Like it's not a it's not a massive hindrance to push it around somewhere a bit more pedally, mm-hmm. but you just know, like somebody on a smaller travel bike will be getting it a bit easier than you. So, yeah, um, and I noticed when I had that Rocky Mountain out, the suspension just now. I don't know if it's maybe how I have mine set up, but that just seemed a lot more responsive or something. Yeah, you could feel the bike a lot more what it was doing, and you know you could chuck it, and you were maybe going. And my bike, if you go offline, see you there. Aye. You're offline. But on that, you could go offline, but you could correct yourself quite quickly. That's part of the... I mean, that'll be a combination of a load of things. Like, you know, wheel sizes have differed, so they're they're a bit more stable. Like a, a 27.5 will let you get away with more than a 26, mm-hmm. just because it's not hanging up and stuff as bad. Um, bigger slacker head angles will just be making the bike more stable, so... Uh, with suspension advancements as well, like you've just got a bike, it's you know night and day compared to something that's ten years old, and it will just let you get away with more. Like some of the bikes that you can buy, like a YT Capper or something, like they're just so stable that you know they're just like a downhill bike of yesteryear or maybe even better. So. Mm. Yeah, they they look nice, but I hear they're pretty hard climbing. Ah, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Uplift bikes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, so tell us the difference then about wheel sizes. So, one thing I noticed, we're handing over to Kieran, who's been attacked by the shop dog, Bear. Uh, but the one thing I noticed, Kieran, the first thing I noticed when I went on the Rocky Mountain was the wheel size. It's 27.5, mine's 26, old school. Mm-hmm. It just read so differently. Yeah. So what is the difference between 26 and 27.5? What does it do to you? What does it? How does it help your riding? Uh, I guess it's like basically the bigger diameter a wheel will help you roll over bigger objects. You know, it's like even the, like, you know, you, I'm trying to think of a scenario, but like say like, you know, even like taking a wheelie bin up a curb, if the the wheel was way bigger, the you know, it would roll up the curb yeah. like even getting kind of hung up on it. So although it's, yeah, an inch and a half difference and then you go up again, you know, the 29er, um, it's the, the same principle, like that if it's a bigger wheel and it comes up against an object, it'll go over it uh, easier. Um, and as well, like, you know, so say you've got even a small hole in a trail, it works the same way where it'll bridge that hole. And yeah, like Lewis was saying there, just not get hung up on, mm-hmm. on smaller objects. So like, you know, any kind of root rock and hang, you know, as you come down a trail, um, the wheel sides make a big difference. The other thing then is the, the kind of momentum of it all. So you've got, you know, slightly bigger tire and the rotational weight. But if like a big 29 inch wheel will kind of carry its speed, you know, for longer. So, it's, you know, if you're even transitioning from a descent to back up on a trail, you know, you've got that momentum helping you. Um, and mm-hmm. you're the kind of flywheel effect of it all. So then you can just keep up your, your cadence and you'll blast your way up the hills, you know. Yeah. As well. So for somebody like me who's in the market for a new bike, then there seems to be a load of debate over this 27.5 and 29 or thing. Yeah. Certain people in a, are in a, you know, 
certain people say 27.5, certain people say 29, or it depends on what camp you're in. So for somebody like me coming into you and wanting to, to purchase a new bike, what would you advise? It totally depends on what you uh, what you ride, you know. <sighs> that's what it comes down to. Both, <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm not in a position to tell you. Yeah, you what do you ride? I have 650B at, at the minute. Right. Um, which is a, same as a 27.5 sorry, yes, basically uh, yeah, more or less the same. same thing yeah yeah um, uh, yeah so i have 27.5 in the minute um like coming from 26 to it i haven't been, spent any real time on a on a 29er you know mm. um but it used to kind of be when the wheel sizes come out 29er went to cross country style stuff so and bikes tended to have either yeah be a hardtail 29er um, and those get like that sort of style of riding just stuck with a 29 inch wheel and then you get kind of small tra- like short travel trail bikes so you're 120 130 mil stuff and the 29 inch wheel worked well for you know boys that like to go out and do big loops and uh just you know mm-hmm. like peddlers basically yeah okay um and then the 29 inch wheel kind of got stuck with a sort of stigma of oh you couldn't turn one of them around a corner you know the wheel's too big you can't so, get around stuff. It can't get around all tight things. Right. Okay. And then I think uh, that's when they were like so. Uh, Twenty-seven point five was then good for all the big travel stuff. Then it sort of stuck that way. But we're really seeing a lot of stuff coming now where people are interested in a bigger travel bike with a twenty-nine inch wheel because the manufacturers have kind of went right. Well, if we treat this wheel, you know, treat this wheel size right and adapt bikes to suit, then. You can make mm. a 29er go around a corner and you can make the 29-inch wheel coupled with your 160, 170 mil travel, you know, steamroll through anything, you know. That would be a monster of a bike. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I was listening to one of the guys from Rocky Mountain and he was just chatting about this upcoming season, one of the racers. And he they, they asked him the question, would he be using 27.5 or 29? Yeah. And he said, for most of the events he'd be using a 27.5 but he definitely knew at this stage two races that he'd be using a 29er yeah so i suppose it just depends on the terrain you're you're riding it on and how it best suits that's you know is it flowy and fast or is it technical and slower and so you just have to balance that up yeah exactly um i don't we couldn't really go go wrong with either, you know, as, yeah. as well. Like, uh, like I say, it tend a couple of twenty nine inch wheel with a, a trail bike, you know, and that kind of nearly makes up the travel a bit as well, you know. Uh, the bigger wheel size helping you roll over stuff would maybe be mm. the equivalent of ten or twenty mil travel, you know. When you but then when you make it, you know, a big aggressive bike with a big wheel, and especially with a bigger bigger rider on top of it makes all the difference like if you're really short you might struggle with something just the, the extra wheelbase you're going to have to deal with but yeah um you know i think you'd be dead on with either so let's put it this way if i am the kind of rider that likes to go from a to b as fast as i can is a 29 or better or if i'm the kind of rider that likes to have a bit of fun maybe try some jumps maybe tries to throw the tail out a wee bit would a twenty seven point five better suited to that style of riding? Uh I'd say like traditionally, yes. But I think the way stuff's going at the minute, you could surprise yourself and have a lot of fun on a twenty nine er. Uh like th- there's like 
say the transition sentinel we can't get our hands on we've, we've got one to build now and we've mm-hmm. another one a couple or a couple for customers ordered but you couldn't if you walked in today and said can you get me one there'd be a couple of months waiting list where we could have you the 650b one you know in a couple of days just there's just a big turn turn for it like and i think it's you know kind of the new new thing it's going to be, it's pretty popular yeah, but I'm not buying two bikes, Kieran. So you know, <laughs> I'd say it it varies from bike to bike, like bike model to bike model. Like you know, you could have a 650B or a 29er, and they both. Work. Yeah. <laughs> Is it one of them things? Do you think if you put somebody on a bike, well, you wouldn't want to put somebody on a bike blindfolded, but you know what I mean. If yeah. you didn't tell them what they were on, could they tell you? Do you think? You think so? There's a good enough rider anyway. I definitely think they could, yeah. I mean, you can tell when you first jump on like a 29er that you're on a 29er, but you'll get used to it fairly quick. They, they don't ride the same, but like Kieran was saying, with, with sort of companies taking the right approach with a 29-inch wheel and building big, slack, long, low bikes with them, like there's no reason why you wouldn't have one unless like size dictated you know i'd say a smaller rider would probably not get on as well with one okay because when you get into steeper stuff you're gonna be hanging off the back of a bike with a big massive wheel trying to scrub your your shock off <laughs> so <laughs> right um yeah i mean but like now we've team rider ben erwin last year he was on a nuke proof mega 290 which is one of the f- sort of earlier bikes that were coming with a big wheel, big travel, and, you know, fairly decent modern geometry. Um, this year, he's going to be on a Transition Sentinel, which, again, big slack bike, big wheels, and, you know, it's kind of the best of both worlds for him. He loves it. Mm. He's saying, like, the bike's as capable as any 650B bike, you know, where it gets rough, but then the bigger wheels allow him to keep momentum on, you know, fire road climbs and even just smooth out the trail when he's... You know, mm. when you're flat out. And is there such a thing of buying a bike and being able to put 27.5 and 29 on it? Can you do that? Uh, there's a couple of bikes that advertise that they can. Um, they'd be sort of listed as like either a 29 or a 27 plus. Uh, so they've got the tire clearance for just like a big old 27.5 right, okay. uh, tire. Um, I don't know how much I agree with that. I think get your geometry sorted for the one bike that yeah. you want it to be and just, you know get used to that that. yeah everything else is a compromise really well here's a scenario for you i've heard a lot of guys talking about like the old motorbike chopper thing wider tire on the back narrower maybe bigger on the front have you heard anything like that coming through or guys chatting about that um definitely had a couple of things come through now with miss you know sort of matched wheel size so like a 29 front 27 and a half rear but I haven't rode it, so I wouldn't like to comment on yeah. what it would what it would be like. Just seems pretty strange. Um, it it they've got their argument for it, you know. Um, the bigger front wheel should uh, roll over stuff. Um, on the front edge and then on the on the back, the twenty seven and a half wheel shouldn't get you know hung up on stuff as hard because it isn't as you know big. But yeah, okay. I don't know. I'd need to ride it to test it. And yeah, see. Right. All right. Let's talk about tire porn then Lewis because I know you're well into <laughs> your tires um, 
I'm just opinionated about a couple of tires. Right, well, that's okay. <laughs> just you, you just tell it how you feel it is. Um, the tires make much difference. Big time, night and day. Yeah, yeah. I took the front tire off my bike before I rode it and changed it. To when you got theory. the new transition, yeah. you changed the rubber on it. I just front tire was straight off um, before I even rode it because there's no point messing about, you know. Right. Just are you. You're a magic Mary dude, are you? Yeah, I mean, I'll run most things on the back, but I think on the front you need a tire that's going to grip. You know, I don't mind the back hanging out, but the front needs to be fairly planted, and I want to be telling the bike where to go rather than it telling me where to go. Okay. So, so that's quite interesting. So you got your new transition. The first thing you done was change the tires. So when you buy a stock bike, what are the tires normally like? Generally, tires don't, you know, they're never a great tire. Um, like, all bike companies skimp on certain things, you mm-hmm. know. Like, it used to be people would joke about the rear mech would be the bit that would be XT and then everything else or something would be, you know, like a lower grade. But, you know, really now, wheel sets tend to be the bit that they're skimped on and things like tires because people aren't really looking at them, you know. Would you see a review or somebody specking something, it's like, you know, it comes with a pike fork, it comes with, you know, uh, eagle group set or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's definitely places where you can sneak a wee, a wee stinker onto the radar and tires <laughs> tend to be one. Like, so. Yeah. Um, there is exceptions. You know, there's some people specking bikes quite smart um, and, and being a bit more generous, you know. Like the new nuke proofs we got through uh, for 2018, they're all coming with the Maxxis like the aftermarket Maxxis version rather than the OE, and they're coming with the, the triple compound, full double down casing and stuff. So somebody's you know probably spent a good bit extra to spec that bike with those tires when they probably didn't have to. You yeah, know, okay. Because the rest of the industry tends to give you, you know, it looks like a Maxxis minion, but it's the one that's made of plastic and right. has white writing on the side. Yeah, so the the Maxxis minions that came in that Rocky Mountain Altitude have the yeah. white writing. Now, I never knew this until you told me mm-hmm. the Maxxis with the white writing are the cheaper ones and the yellow they're, they're are the more the expensive. They're just equipment stuff. So um, they're, they could, they're decent enough tires, uh, but they're mm-hmm. just usually like a single compound and uh, just, you know, basic tires. You've got a Maxxis tire. Even the bike coming with a Maxxis tire like that is probably dead on. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's just some companies out there thinking about it and you know, stuff that's spec by riders that know what they want tends to come with something a wee bit more special. So, so what's the difference in the in the compounds then? Why is one tire cheaper and one more expensive? Yeah, just generally, like, a, the, the cheaper ones would be, like, a single compound tire. So it'll just be, you know, one tire made from maybe, like, what they would call, like, a 60A rubber. So something that's fairly hard-wearing. And it comes down to they don't want to spec everything with a super soft, sticky tire that's going to wear out and, like, you know a couple of months because then people probably you know a lot of people that buy the bikes probably aren't riding them do their you know yeah so they're they're actually they're probably looking at it as they don't want somebody spending a couple of grand on a bike and then in three or four months the tires been worn on them because they'd be like yeah that bike look at the tires and that thing the other thing is like that you know i know by putting like a like a ultra soft magic mary on the front of my bike it's going to slow down on like fire roads and transitions mm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
whereas they probably want the bike for everybody just to pedal that bit nicer and a bit you know like less rolling resistance and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. so there's a lot of bike people have to spec bikes so a lot of things to consider you know um but generally one of the biggest improvements i think you can make the most bikes is to to put a decent tire on it so. Aye, so that that would be a good way to upgrade, really. Yeah. You know, so when I went on that Rocky Mountain Altitude, I thought them tyres were actually quite good. They actually are, yeah. But it's funny because initially when I went on it for the first five or ten minutes, I thought, these tyres feel really weird. But I don't know, it was just probably because my tyres are about, well, I don't know how old they are because they came on the bike and I've had the bike three years, but they are very worn. No, I, um, I actually found those tires were were pretty grippy as well. Like I've had a go on that Rocky Mountain a couple of times and was impressed. You know, mm-hmm. um, like you can make up for a lack of sticky compound if it things wide enough and it's got an aggressive enough profile. And they are like two and a, two and a half inch wide, yeah. wide trail ones, so they, they've got mechanical grip there. So. Yeah, talking about width of tires, then what would you? suggest do you think a tire is something you have to change with with from summer to winter um not really i think i would be riding the same tire all year round anyway um there's a lot of there's a big movement for plus size tires at the minute Mm -hmm. um there's definitely a lot of grip to be had with a bigger tire and what as a plus size tire what size is that Uh, so you come like you can get like 26 plus 27 and a half plus right Instead of being like an average 2.35 to 2.5, you're going maybe 2.8, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're a big old tire, and they're generally coupled with a bigger rim for bigger air volume. Um, yeah. So they, they'll completely change the way a bike rides. And if you're used to normal volume and normal tires, you'll probably not be immediately gelling with it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. Like, I've done a bit of time mm-hmm. on Plus, and uh, I thought that, to get it at the pressure where you needed to take advantage of the the bigger volume and the grip and stuff, then it ended up feeling a wee bit like not direct. You know, right. the bike felt a bit woolly and a bit yeah, okay. unsure to me. But there's loads of people loving them. Like a customer just got a nice new hardtail with 27 plus, and he's raving about it. So horses, yeah. horses. Like so, it's not maybe just the companies trying to sell yet another product. No, they wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, but there's guys liking it, so yeah. it's obviously okay for some people. No, that's it. There's there's definitely people loving it. Um, again, it's like any new thing. There's Early adopters are going to have problems with a lot of the tires. To make them light enough, because they are quite big, they tend to be a wee bit weak still. Right. Um, so I know there's a lot of customers having problems with the plus size tires. They love the fact that it's got good grip. Um, they like the way the the big air volume feels, but then they're ripping tires a lot and stuff. So it's just something to keep an eye on. I think you know yeah. I wouldn't rush out to to change for myself right now. But okay, um, they'll definitely get the right way. It's the same as twenty niners. You know, two years ago, probably right even up to the last year it was hard to get a decent tire in that size because hmm. all the developments sort of aimed at at the 27.5 so. right so for the tires that you run the magic marys what you run that in the front but you 
don't really yeah. mind what you're on the bike no, as long as it's half like decent. Last year I was running a rock racer in the back and liked it, but I've just kept the standard Maxis that came on the bike and it's fine. Like you know. Right, okay. And what kind of price are you looking at for new tyres of that kind of spec? Yeah, the likes of a Magic Mary retails at about 65 quid. I think you can find them most places for about 50 odd quid. So. Yeah. So. You see, that just sounds... I know that's the price of tyres, but yeah. that just sounds crazy when it's you a get... Lot of, it's a lot of dough, but then... You know, it's it's one of two contact points with the ground on a three thousand pound machine. So yeah, it's yeah worth spending. Yeah, certainly. And a high spec tire like that won't necessarily last you as long, but it'll give you more enjoyment because you'll have more grip. Yeah, more confidence. It, it'll give you more grip. Um, gives me a lot more confidence in pushing you know the front end of the bike into stuff. I know mm-hmm. that the tire's gonna grip where so the cheaper tire wouldn't. Or the harder, more like better wear and tire wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's you don't get anything for free. It's definitely harder to push, um, and it's definitely going to wear out quicker. So you're going to have to find another fifty quid for a tire. Yeah. Quicker, so thinking about my own situation, then if I was going to buy a new bike, so realistically to upgrade my tires, I'm talking hundred and fifty quid roughly. Yeah, hundred quid or thereabouts to get you a set of tires. You know, yeah. Okay, so that's another hundred odd quid spent. All right, rather than buying a new bike, right? Let's talk about drive chains and uh, gears and all that kind of stuff because that confuses a lot of people. And there's loads of different options out there. Um, so my bike has a, a two by Kieran. Yep. Tut tut. Mm-hmm. Um, some older bikes come with three buys, obviously, um, but most of the new bikes come with a one by in the front. So, can you explain the difference and why that has changed? Yeah, uh, basically, so you're obviously one by just has a single ring on the front, and your two by, you know, you need a front mech. So, the way things have changed recently is instead of having, you know, your sort of narrower range of cassettes, say an 1136 on the back um, with your two rings. Uh, so say two by ten, two by ten speed, mm-hmm. and you're twenty gears. Instead of doing that, if you run a cassette which goes say eleven teeth up to you can go forty six, say as an average, uh, eleven to forty six, and just the one sort of thirty two tooth, for example, ring on the front, mm-hmm. that gives you a good spread of gears, which would tackle tackle most things without the need to run a front mech, which then clears up your handlebars in the front you don't have to run a shifter on the left so that's where you can put your dropper uh lever so it just neatens everything up and mm-hmm. it's basically just a simpler system a bit less maybe a bit less weight because you're dropping a front mac but your cassette's getting bigger so sort of a compromise there but with the introduction of like narrow wide rings on the front and like clutch max it means that your chain's not going to fall off if it doesn't have a have a chain guide or if you're racing and you want to be doubly sure you're not going to lose mm-hmm. a chain and you can put a really small light gu- uh, guide on so basically you can simplify the drivetrain system get a good selection of gears and you know just much much neater like you know yeah uh, we've been doing it for donkeys like just taking your uh rings off and running a single and then you had to run a chain device but you just made do with your 1136 and it seemed fine at the time and then someone gives you option here you can go to 42 and you go happy days that's good and then you go no nah, i don't need any bigger than that and then that Rocky Mountain came with a 46 and I haven't took it off, so <laughs> it must be okay, you know. Yeah. And the Shram Eagle that everybody's talking about, what's that running then? I think it's up to a 50 tooth. Really? Um, 
so that that's getting to the edge now where you're getting trying to fit 12 gears onto a free hub body and as big as a 50 tooth like i think that's maybe one step too far we see quite a lot of people that are clipping their rear mac off stuff because obviously if you've a say a smaller wheel now 650b and a big 50 tooth and the, the cage on the mac needs to be quite long to take up all that spread of gears so mm-hmm. it's getting real close to the ground so it's kind of maybe just a bit beyond right normal but then it's just a, a sales thing to go yeah you look you've got this extra couple hundred percent of you know gear ratio mm. um on it and you've got now 12 gears but i'd say 11 speed you know up to 46 or so is perfect for for most people without yeah. putting too much strain on everything else and what advantage does the one by system give you on the trail as a rider what advantage do you uh, have i guess it just simplifies everything if you're just sitting halfway up your cassette you just go do i want it to be easier or harder to pedal here up or down don't need to worry about when you're you know if you're cross chaining yeah. that doesn't happen anymore you don't need to worry about oh i've reached the end of the cassette i need to shift down at the front and then up at the back and you know to find the next gear along it's just Mm -hmm. straightforward like one gear harder one gear you know one gear easier um and just bang up and down the cassette just real real handy and real real simple like so um and less rings to wear out i guess too yeah yeah and for the like of my bike that's a two by and I I personally think it was maybe a three by at a stage yeah. and they've just changed the front <laughs> quite possibly. Um can that be converted to a one by? Oh yeah. Um it just depends what you're what you're running. You know, if you have a ten speed uh, rear I think neck, mine's a two by nine. Two by nine. Well <laughs> <laughs> you might struggle to find someone making you a cassette bigger than a you know up to a 36 so that's where you'll struggle with a better range there but um you know if anyone's running 10 speed like shimano started making their cassettes up to 42 i think now um there is aftermarket stuff you can get to run a bigger ring behind so you used to take out one of the teeth in your one of your rings in your cassette and put a big expander on the back um, it just comes to the limit of what the Mac will stretch to. Mm-hmm. So you can buy aftermarket cages and stuff to settle that. But now Shimano realized that so many people were doing the aftermarket way. They released their own 40 tooth cassette. So at 11, 1140 with a decent sized ring, you'll not really run out of speed, you know. Yeah. And again, in my scenario, is that something that's going to be expensive to do? Uh, it's not too bad. It depends what you depends how much of it you want to change you know if you're happy enough with your crank set basically all you're buying is a, a front ring and then you're taking stuff off you know you're taking yeah. off a front mac and a front shift front shifter um it gets dearer if you want to you know start modifying your you know your rear cassette setup and um, it's not too bad if it's just a cassette you may be talking what are they 80 quid or something like that for the cassette right but if you're into expander ring at 50 quid then a you know, yeah, converting up. your cage at maybe another 30-odd quid, and then front ring narrow-wides are, you know, cheap enough now, aluminium ones, 30-odd quid or something like that. Right, yeah. But <clears throat> on top of your tires as well, you know, it's starting to starting it to is. price up. You may as well go tubeless, now you're changing your tires oh, too. Don't, well, we didn't even talk about tubeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't got all night. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, so what about gears then? Uh how much better are they on the new bikes nowadays? I'd say shifting's got pretty good. Like your lever feels pretty dialed. You know, if you're on something something half half decent, 
um like any of the slx xt stuff and even like the gx and nx all that stuff it all feels mm. pretty crisp like um like cassettes make a big difference the way they're ramped and stuff and everything just feels pretty nice now like um yeah so what advantage is there to upgrading gears is it just smoother changing or just more confidence and uh, yeah, are they well, lighter are they stronger do they wear out all the above, all them guess, questions like, just know, rambled onto you at once yeah, yeah. so like it, you kind of get you know the base stuff it's all like the technology trickles down so last year's slx stuff will be what's appearing on you know dior stuff but just maybe made a bit cheaper so you get parts that are made out of pressed steel that would have been cast aluminium so you're just adding weight but mm-hmm. basically the the fancier up the ladder you go the more precise your shifting gets and the lighter the components get and the dearer it is to replace whenever right. you wear it out so you know yeah exactly so, you, so more aluminium rings in a cassette that's going to wear quicker than one that's all steel but it's also going to be lighter so it depends where you're right okay so it's one of those scenarios you get what you pay for exactly. and if you pay big bucks you get big bucks bills you do but you get something that's lighter and more durable and all exactly. that kind yeah. of thing yeah so on an in, on, a, on a bike then if i was to buy a new bike let's just say that canyon or that rocky mountain or your transition lewis what is the gear spec like in them are they is it relatively good yeah it's going to be good yeah like everything you know from a two and a half grand three grand bike it's going to be good quality like all mm-hmm. the it's all you know even the entry-level stuff now all shifts really well like like all the all the technologies has been dialed in everything yeah it's just been made good and they can't unmake it good they can just make it cheaper but right still feels feels nice i so like katrina's bike that she's running it's got shram nx which mm-hmm. is that the entry level yeah shram it seems to change lovely it yeah, seems so really smooth nice. yeah um so why do you think you need to go more expensive then again is it just what you're saying it's more durable and <laughs> less durable you less think durable yeah um it's just less bulky um you know the NX stuff is is a bit bulky on it. Like but the shifting does get more precise, but you're you're splitting hairs. You know, yeah. once you go up the up up the spec, like. Do you think as cheaper gears and stuff like that, something that initially really work well, but when you've had the bike for six or eight months, it starts to not be so good and starts to develop more faults is it just not as yeah well i can it's not always down to wear on the components like you know like loads of shifting and loads of years of abuse on a rear mech like the pivots will start to get a bit of play in them so you're pulling the lever and it's pulling a bit of play and then you know then doing its shift so it's going to make you know there's going to get less accuracy there and but at the same time you know could just be stuff like you know cables and water getting into your cables and stuff like that so right. routine maintenance is good okay you know obviously on that but um i don't think the cheaper stuff's not going to wear out any faster than the the dearer stuff really know? that's very interesting thought so. wow brakes then mm-hmm. on my bike i have shimano slx yeah on the back and i've got shimano d or on the front um that's the way it came. That's the way I bought it. Uh, they don't really work anymore. But 
you know um, I just stick my foot in the back tyre you know the yeah. way you do that oh, between yeah. the frame and your yeah. back tyre yeah. um, but have brakes changed a lot in 10 years I think so especially the way the, the market's kind of shifting toward the kind of enduro bike style of things so I'm starting to see a lot more like what you call four pot uh, caliper which is you know, four little pistons instead oh. of two so wow. basically get you a bigger brake pad and uh, more power onto the onto the rotor so that sort of style of you know more aggressive brakes coming through really but pass that man the mic <laughs> now just the the four piston brakes it was something you could always get but they were tend to be big bulky downhill brakes whereas now right. you know a four piston brake could definitely be an enduro or trail brake uh, so you've got like shimano bringing out xt ones so they're they're just nice small light little calipers that, hmm. that still have a lot of power in them so mm-hmm. cool and what about the discs and stuff like that you get different sizes why is that um just you know bigger discs are gonna give you more power um again the downside is there's more rotational weight um probably slightly harder to keep bigger rotors straight as well you know mm-hmm. um they're more prone to warping and getting hit and, and dinged up but um Definitely, if you feel like you're running out of braking power or you're fading brakes a lot, then maybe a wee pad change to something a bit more, you know, aggressive pad and a bigger rotor will definitely help. So. Mm-hmm. And I could convert my bike to do that kind of thing, change the brakes, yeah, change the disc. Yeah, you can get uh, a mount adapter just to suit different size rotors and stuff. So. Right, okay. I wouldn't need to be changing the hubs and my rims running to put a different disc size on no. or anything like that. No, just uh, change the mount adapter, change the disc, and you can usually just swap between whatever you want. So. Right, okay. So what about brands like Hope? I heard you talking about brakes earlier, yeah, Lewis, uh, and you were talking about a Pacific Hope brake. So brands like that, which are quite expensive, so you can go from you know, your, your SRAM, NX stuff, and all the cheaper end stuff to the likes of Hope. So what's the advantage of going and spending more money on the likes of Hope stuff, which we all love, by the way? Brakes are a strange thing at the minute. It used to be that the Hope was kind of, you know, one of the higher ones you would aim for. Like, like it was top of the top of the pile, mm-hmm. and, you know, you really had to pay to get, like, a good quality Hope brake. Um, now Hopes are, like, the same price as, like, a you know a SRAM guide rs or like you know there's 20 quid difference in them i was checking today for a customer um the new shimano xt4 pods the same price it's actually maybe a five or more expensive than a than a hope e4 right um so you know price wise they're all fairly similar um the the Shimano stuff's kind of like you know very fit and forget we find you know customers can put it on just right away at it for donkeys um, and not need to touch it. The Hope stuff's very similar and um, we kind of tend to sell a lot of Hope stuff because of their you know they've got the, the products are great they're well designed they're well made. Mm-hmm. Um, the after service is brilliant. Like you need anything from Hope, they'll have a spare part. It's perfect for you because they'll have it ten years later. Um, <laughs> So you can still get you can still get a part for your you know ten plus year old hub or or a, like a seal for your brake master cylinder or something. So yeah, it's kind of like if you're that guy that likes to look after stuff and not just be like throw away. You know, the the hope stuff tends to be really good because you can get every small part for it. Yeah, and always fix it. Whereas like a Shimano brake, if you need a 
you know you can't rebuild the caliper or you can't rebuild the master cylinder um they don't sell spares individually that is one unit you buy either a lever uh hose or a caliper if you need to fix either right. one of those so yeah i like the hope stuff it's not as throwaway it's stuff yeah, that you okay. can buy you know and and transfer it between between bikes you know if you buy a new bike two or three years later your hope brakes are still probably mint they probably just need a good blade clean mm. and maybe a couple of seals thrown at them and you know they're good for another couple of years pistons yeah it's interesting because my mate as telling you rides the hard tail um it's a max light yeah but he runs all hope components on it and that that bike i think is 20 years old yeah no and the hope stuff he got you know he, he got the bike made up so he bought the frame and got forks etc etc got all the hope components that hope stuff still rocks yeah no and that's the thing like a lot of company stuff is you know maybe got a bit more throwaway over the years whereas hope have just still made the same high quality like all machined out of billet aluminium uh parts that they always did you know mm-hmm. like i have no doubt that you know we still regularly see probably eight to ten year old hope pro twos coming through the shop needing just a couple of bearings thrown in them you know uh still going strong way longer than a lot of other stuff so awesome that sounds awesome um so brakes then realistically for the riding experience just give you more confidence help you yeah stop you, quicker obviously but you don't want a brake that's going to be uh like fading and mm. you know like when you're when you're not an amazing rider, you tend to use the brakes more than, than somebody who's a bit faster. So um, it's not something worth skimping on, thinking that you're not going to use them. You know, like I find myself cooking brakes a wee bit because I'm a bit scared. But, uh, <laughs> you know, a better brake definitely makes a bigger difference. Like maybe this time last year, I had the standard brakes that came on my Mega. Um, we were riding a fairly steep wee track down behind Ross Trevor and... Uh, like, I left that day going, like, I need better brakes. Just, you know, mm. my fingers were pulled out of me just because I was on them all the time and I was cooking them. And then your fingers are working harder, so then you've got more arm pump. And, right. You know, you're just making an already hard task way harder. You know? Yeah. Whereas if you've got a brake that's maybe a wee bit more than what you need, you know, you're just putting a lot less effort in. So Right, I so that that's good. Because, so it comes down to more than just simply stopping you. Yeah, there's I mean, a lot of yeah. more add-on, feed-on things from bad brakes as such. Definitely, yeah. I mean, you put yourself down a real steep track um, where you're maybe not like you know super confident rider. You'll definitely be on the brakes, you know, from start to finish. Um, so if you've got something that's gonna like just not have enough power in it to start with, you're gonna be pulling harder. Or if the pads are just not suitable, they'll be glazing up. And then you may as well, like, you stick a vice grip on the on the lever and it'll still not stop you, you know. Aye. And you'll just be out of control, trying to hold on when you're tired, sore, um, mm. and just making it all more difficult. So. Cool. Let's move on to dropper posts. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was the first time when I had the Rocky Mountain out that I had a dropper post. And I didn't use it around Castlewell at all. I used it a bit at Dava. And I thought to myself, well, you know what, I don't know what the big deal is. I don't really think I need one of these. But then, when I went back on my own bike, <laughs> I was like, mm, I wish I had a dropper post. <laughs> I was probably a late enough convert to dropper post as well. I, I kind of had a, the same sort of feeling. Um, you know, 
I always thought, like, if I'm pedaling up to the top of Donner or something, I've got plenty of time to get my breath back and put my seat post down, you know, for the mm. descent. So until I used one, I didn't think I needed one, but now that I've used one, I can't not use one. So yeah, um, they're even great for trail centers and stuff. You know, the likes of Castle Well, and you've maybe got like the odd rough bit where you would like to seat down out of the way, but then the rest of the place is kind of, yeah. you know, fairly like simple and mundane. You you don't mind having the seat up. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can even just, you know, if you're out blasting Stravas, you can, you know, rattle through sort of the, the rougher bit and then seat straight back up, back on the pedals, full efficiency. So Yeah. It's weird because I just don't think I was in the right, trail centers to get the full advantage of it i was yeah. nothing maybe steep enough i mean in a way yeah dav is probably like you know it's very much you pedal to the top and then there's there's quite a lot of just descending which is cool like that's what you yeah. want but um you know maybe somewhere that that's very up and down and you don't really get a chance to you know you're just from straight from a descent right into something a bit more mm-hmm. level or uphill dropper post definitely comes in real handy yeah and it's funny because without a dropper post, you find yourself obviously sitting quite a lot. But when I was using the dropper post on the altitude, you're you're there is sections where you're standing and pedaling. Yeah. But I think I was so much faster because of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, riding something steep and nasty with a seat, you know, up is like it's real hard. Like people can do it. Like hats off them, but like they're it's not for me yeah i want that seat out of the way so i can move around the bike the way i need to move around the bike hmm. and uh the dropper post just lets you do that with ease and real efficiency you know mm-hmm. like i'm not much of a racer but if you're racing enduro you know the stages are kind of laid out where they're not all just downhill tracks yeah so you're going to be making a quick transition from you know, maybe one of the, like, it will be as steep as a downhill track and as gnarly, and then you're going straight into a, a flat pedal for maybe, you know, mm. the next minute. So being able to just, like, get straight on the pedals, pop the seat up, pedal away, uh, rest your legs, you know, mm-hmm. it's a big, big difference for that yeah. sort of stuff. So could I convert my bike to have a dropper post? You can. You can fit a dropper post to pretty much anything now. Um it used to be a limitation on seat post diameter. You just to package all that uh, into the seat post, you needed to have like a 30.9 or bigger, but there's companies make ones for smaller frames as well now. Right, so that's doable. What kind of price are you looking at? I know there's quite a difference. Massive range. Um, you know, dropper posts kind of started with a reverb and stuff, maybe coming in at like 400 quid. Um, they probably still are. Uh we tend to sell a lot of the brand X ones. They're coming in at about 140 quid retail and they're a great post, real solid, not much difference in weight and probably more reliable than a reverb. So, Right. And are they all externally rooted and stuff? Some yeah. external, some internal. You can get both. So. Right, okay. And for the likes of, if I was to upgrade to, let, to let's say that altitude, yeah, the quality of the dropper post that comes in that. What's that like? That's one of the top of the range ones, really. That's a Fox transfer post. Oh, um, so it's a fancy wow. one. What kind of price would that be retailing? Uh, I think they're probably around about three hundred quid. Wow. So, yeah. So you see, already if I'm to update my bike, you're already looking. Yeah. And if I want to go tubeless, right? That's not even you know. Uh, There's some things like I'm all for old stuff, you know. Yeah, I 
play about with old cars and stuff, but you know, the technology in bikes has just made it much easier to ride the terrain you're riding. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, new bikes are cool. Because so. I'm looking, you know, I'm thinking there's a grand anyway. Yeah. Already. Which you may as well have just stuck in the fire. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because your frame's still <laughs> miles off, but yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Bars and seat then. Um, the bars have got much wider on bikes. Yeah, generally. Wider bars, a bit more. They've went a bit wide sometimes, but yeah, a bit more control. More control. Yeah. And do you think for a position on the bike it opens your chest out about that you breathe maybe a wee bit yeah, more is yeah. that all come into play like definitely the wider bar will make the bike feel a wee touch longer which is quite good for climbing as well so mm-hmm. whether you're you know all out the sender or you're an all-round rider or a cross-country rider generally wider bars tend to be better um open your chest up make the bike feel longer mm-hmm. get your weight you know more over the front wheel as well so helps for cornering grip and it helps for climbing ability so the bike's not constantly like lifting the front wheel as well right cool yeah because i think the bars on the altitude that i had out are um 780 mil yeah i think the ones on mine are maybe 760 or something like that but you do notice the difference yeah you mean you definitely would um probably you'll notice a difference going up the wider bar mm. but i think you notice it more when you go back um it's hard to go from like a 780 back to a 760 or something. So, mm-hmm. And is there much available in, in bars on the market price-wise and quality-wise and stuff? Yeah, loads of real good options. Um, it's really hard to find bad bike components these days. Uh, like there's so many companies doing it. You know, it's got such a big market. It used to be you'd, you'd be very limited as to what you could get and you paid a premium for that. But now you can get like you know direct the brands like superstar and stuff make a decent handlebar and it'll probably be like 30 40 quid wow. um nuke proof make a real nice what's their neutrons like you know 25 30 quid or something so carbon rentals or something like you know yeah spend as deep as your pockets are really as much as you want mm-hmm. kieran let's talk about that the saddle that you put on that rocky mountain yeah <laughs> Um, now, the saddle I have in my Specialized is cheap, <laughs> but it's not too bad. The saddle you put on that Rocky Mountain had me standing up more than I was sitting down. That's what it's for, you're not supposed to use it, you're not pedaling <laughs> hard enough. So is there much difference, and you really like that saddle though, don't yeah, you? What yeah. is it, a WTB or something? Uh, no, it's an SDG fly. Right, okay. Yeah. Why did you put that on? Uh, I don't remember why I bought it. I got a good deal on it, and I find it comfortable. And it just—it's moved through the last couple of bikes with me. Right, cool. Um, I know you didn't find it comfortable, but <laughs> was, obviously I've been down the chippy a few more times and I've got more padding in here or something. So, um, but seats again is something that is crazy as far as price range go. Yeah. 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 Like everyone's a different shape, you know. Right. It's hard to. It's hard to, like, I suppose all the road guys would know maybe a bit more as well, but, like, it's, you kind of need to spend time on something to know that it's going to be good, and then that makes it hard to take a punt on a saddle that's 150 quid, you know? Yeah. Because it's maybe going to be, have less material there, but have a bit more, Aye. you know, support to you, you know, rather than something that's big and padded, it's going to get in your way, but um, it's a case of trial and error and find out what you like. Yeah, it's a strange one, and 
Would you think that the majority of saddles that come on bikes are okay? I'd say most people just right. they'll just carry on with whatever whatever is on it. I've heard some people complain about stuff, and some people have been buying the last saddle mm. for the last ten years, just getting a new version of it or the new color or mm. or whatever, just because they know that saddle works for them or yeah. even that brand. You know, someone might go, "Yeah, I just buy SDG saddles because they work for me," and people go, "I just buy specialized saddles because they work for me." Some people go, "I just sit on it." You know, it's yeah, different people. Yeah. So, do you think the likes <clears throat> of saddles and grips really matter that much? I know they're contact points, so they really yeah. should be comfortable well, to a degree. But say. you know, you're, I would, like the main things. You know, if I was buying a bike, you'd think about changing ten to be your contact points. You know, mm. you know, pedals are quite mm-hmm. specific. People like different things or just put the cheap stuff on and grips as well. Like, you know, if you ride gloves or you ride without gloves, some people like soft grip, fat grip, you know, yeah. something hard, skinny, I don't know, you know, different different things, different shapes, different ergonomics to it all. Like, you know, yeah. it's all it's all personal preference. You just need to try stuff and see. Okay, yeah, so that's just trial and error, really, at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Quality-wise, you get what you pay for, probably. <coughs> yeah, I guess so. You get some stuff that just pops up at good value. You know, the uh, DMR Death Grips are 16 quid, and they're mm. real comfortable, loads of options, loads of colorways. Um, and, like, I just keep going straight to the Troy Lee ODI Grips, just buy them all the time. Like, they're mm-hmm. 30 quid ago, but they just they work for me, nice and comfortable, nice and grippy. Cool. Okay. Now, here's the question. So, you've talked me into buying a new bike. That was easy. Well, <laughs> it's all right. I'm not paying for it. <laughs> what price do you think I should be spending on a bike? Considering I ride maybe once a week or twice a week, what do you think I need to spend? Um, where are you going to ride it? And. Well, yeah. Well, I'm riding it in Davi and, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Like trail centers? Yeah. Do you think it's better spending, let's say, up to two grand and maybe changing that every two to three years? Or do I need to spend five grand on a bike and keep it for another 10 years? What What's the best way, do you think, with the way technology changes quickly and all now? Um, I think we're hopefully coming to the end. Of all the technology change. Oh, <laughs> Lewis shakes his head. Yeah. No. Uh, like, I mean, if you bought a bike two years ago, you're going to be pretty pissed off at the new axle spacings and stuff that doesn't let you buy wheels to suit and all that kind of stuff. But I think things are pretty good now that um, I don't know if they can make up any more stuff to change apart from this new dub bottom bracket thing that we're going to ignore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I think like I think there's a lot of people who just change bike every year, and I don't know whether they just get you know an excellent cycle to work scheme or something in work, or mm. or just have a good loan company. Um, but yeah, changing bike every couple of years, it says good. I think you kick yourself if you bought a five grand Santa Cruz and then tried to sell it yeah. after five years, you know, and it'd be worth yeah nothing yeah <laughs> you know uh so i think keeping it reasonably fresh you know um is the is the way to do it but right i think that kind of three grand bike is the magic magic number okay so up keep. to about three and uh, would you change that every year would you or every 
Just uh, depending. Every couple of years. I'd say every two years. Right. But it it's personal, like, you know. Yeah. Um, Do you think maybe another way to go would be to buy a bike that's maybe a couple of years old? Uh, it's an option, yeah. I think there's definitely good value stuff to be had. Um, it just depends what you're what your riding's like as well and what the bike you're buying is. I think in this day and age, it's good to have something with a warranty. You know, if you bought okay, something that yeah, was five grand, but then, you know, got it two years later and, and got it really cheap, then you'd be over the moon. But if you, if say it has a carbon frame and you crack it, then that's just done. You know, you've, mm. you have nowhere to go from that. Um, so and some stuff, I think it's, best to be the original owner um mm-hmm. just for for safety and that sort of thing but yeah um there's definitely good secondhand deals to be had out there because people buy a bike every year Aye. and maybe okay. don't wreck it too much in that time and there's there's definitely good stuff out there yeah and most bikes come with like a five-year warranty or something do they yeah it varies from manufacturer to manufacturer you right. know um well, any of the good ones will stand over their stuff for five right. years or like and time. Is that normally just on frame or is that on components as well? Normally about a year on components. Right. It varies. Right, stuff. okay. And obviously some of that stuff is, you know, it's not going to be warrantable. Like if you turn your wheel into a Pringle because you land something really <laughs> big, they're they're not going to stand over yeah. that, but uh, over manufacturing defects anyway. Grand. Right, so to wrap it up, guys, what would you think is the top two or three reasons why I should change and buy a new bike um, I mean bikes have just got better you know they're easier to ride they're easier to ride fast um, technology's just made it where the, the bikes you know they've just got a lot more R&D in them now and like it's just evolution really mm. you know it's the same as anything like cars have got more efficient they've got faster you know it's it's just the way everything's went. Um, I'd find it real hard to go back to something that's maybe twenty six inch wheel and with like a three degree steeper head angle. Um, yeah, I'd probably just quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so buy a new bike or quit, yeah. basically. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that's awesome, guys. Listen, um, thank you so much. No problem for taking the time and chatting us through that. And. Um, I'll see if you can give me a sneaky wee deal on one of these Rocky Mountains. But, uh, That's it. So, Kieran, if you were to buy a bike now, up to three grand, what would you, or sorry, Lewis, what would you go for? There's so much available. Um, I probably shouldn't say this because we're a small independent bike shop, but <laughs> if you're if you just like the regular punter, there's a lot of deals to be had with direct sales models and stuff, you know. Um, there's yeah, but definitely then you don't get the... You no. just don't get the... You, you, don't don't, you get, wouldn't have this. You don't get to talk to your local bike shop and you don't get someone that's going to stand over it as easy. You know, we yeah. process quite a few warranties on Canyons, YTs, all that kind of stuff um, just for customers. And like we charge an admin fee for it because we're really doing just what you can do, you know, mm-hmm. and talking to the factory direct and, and posting bits and jobs off. But, you know... If you buy that from us, you just bring it in the door and go, that's broke, <laughs> fix it. Or, you know, it's just a lot more straightforward and yeah. a, lot, a lot easier. There's just a bit more customer service with it. But you definitely do have to pay extra because there's just another person in the loop, you know. Yeah, okay. Um, there's a distributor making money on the bike rather than just direct from factory to seller, you know. Yeah. Um, 
but you can get stonking deals on on bikes that way uh but then there's brands like nuke proof that aren't coming in you know they're maybe like 200 quid more and you get the bad from a local bike shop and you get your warranty through a local bike shop all that kind of stuff um and the specs like pretty much mirror what yeah. what you can get from a direct brand so um, yeah no essentially yeah. stay local boys stay local no that's it i'm all for it come in we'll sell you bikes no problem at all and we'll stand over them um the other thing is like a getting a bike set up correctly from the start you know mm. um even from as simple as just the bike being put together right so your gears you know it's all well and good buying a four grand yt with x01 but if it's not indexed right or if it's not set up right or if it's got a bend hanger in the box or something that stuff we'll notice when we build the bike and we'll straighten it we'll set it up yeah um so you, you're getting definitely a better product out the door of a local bike shop if the local bike shop knows what they're doing so mm. um what else setup you know just getting even getting your basic you know sag setup and stuff and uh, not going too in depth but just getting that bike set up for your weight like we done with you on the rocky mountain um, mm-hmm. and just sort of having to bounce on it to make sure it feels roughly uh balanced when it's set up at that weight you know that may sound like something is not of much value but you would be surprised that many people are floating about the trails on four grounds with a paperweight you know like you can see their forks are diving the back ends bucking them off over the over Mm. the front and stuff and you're like i just i just stand and shake my head I'd say nothing. You should just slip my wee business card. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, just want people to see the value in that, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like there's there's so many good bikes now. It's really hard to point anyone in any one direction. Like the bikes you see us selling, we only sell because we believe in the brands, you know. Yeah. Um, like I had a bit of a background in the nukeproof stuff, so I know what's went into it. Mm-hmm. I know the ride good. I've put enough time in them one, so. Um, transition we took a punt on because their stuff looked interesting um, and we kind of like the brand as well you know yeah and what they're doing with all the the new geometry and stuff like it's something I wanted to have a go on and cool and see what it was you know see if it worked the way it, it's supposed to and I was apprehensive you know I think I might have spoke to you when I when it was coming and I hadn't mm. ridden it yet and I was like if this doesn't ride as good as my mega it's going up the road straight away <laughs> um so that's it like we don't mess about there's no point us selling stuff we don't believe in um so yeah hopefully you get a bit of that from your local bike shop but you, you do here anyway mm. um so yeah it's well awesome boys thank you so much i appreciate it. it trust the people that are riding them and hopefully they can steer you directly in the right direction um, yeah but yeah have a look at some you know, reputable uh, places that are reviewing bikes, like, you know, mm-hmm. Dirt Magazine. Like, Steve Jones has always been a bit of a a legend. I don't know what he's doing now, actually. Uh, I don't think he's with Dirt. But, uh, yeah, you know, just check out reviews from yeah. people who are renowned for knowing what they're talking about and not just mm-hmm. somebody who started a website to review bikes to get to get some free stuff sent to them. So. Yeah, yeah, good point, good yeah. point. Dudes, thank you so much. No problem. And uh, I hope you have a good evening. There's not much left, but I hope it goes all well. Sweet. So thanks very much. I appreciate it again, boys. No problem. Cheers. Yeah, bye. Bye, bye. No, guys. No, I haven't bought a new bike yet. I'm still on my 10-year-old Specialized. So there you go. 
But hopefully that episode has helped you. And I know a lot of you are thinking about maybe purchasing new bikes for the summer. So I wanted to put this episode out with the help of the guys at Make Monkey. They know their stuff so well up there. They're working every day on bikes. They never stop. So I thought it would be good to get them guys on the show and chat about the differences in, in old bike versus a new bike and how you can improve and upgrade and everything else and what kind of money you want to be spending really on a bike and when they think you should be possibly looking at changing. So I hope this has helped you maybe make up your mind if that's what you're thinking of doing this summer. So guys, if you enjoyed the show, go to www.mtb-tribe.com. The show notes are on there. You'll get links to the Make Monkey guys. The guys will be more than happy to answer any questions. And if you want one of them nice rocky mountains, you know where to go to. Uh, um, so that's awesome if you listen to the show on iTunes I would appreciate a review five stars of course is always lovely lovely to get and a share would also be great and I just want to say thank you to the guys that are reviewing on iTunes I really appreciate it and thanks so much for doing that recently it's been really good and I will read out your names next week on next week's episode just to say a thank you I do appreciate it you can also find us on Stitcher you can get us there and download onto your phone from there on socials instagram at mtb tribe and facebook is also mtb tribe so folks thanks once again for being here i really appreciate it and for everybody that was on last week and listened to brian kennedy's episode thanks so much that has been the best episode so far we killed it last week so awesome stuff guys i'm really happy i'm really pleased that you're here so thanks for being on board thanks for being part of the tribe I'll speak to you next week.